You are listening to Mrs. Miracle's Music Room Podcast, episode number four. everyone, this is Aileen Miracle from Mrs. Miracle's Music Room, and today I am super excited to interview my very good friend, Andrew Ellingson, about integrating the Kodai philosophy with the Orff Schulwerk philosophy. Andrew has been trained in both philosophies, which he'll talk about in just a minute here. In my second to last podcast, I interviewed Carla Chawinski about the Kodai philosophy, and then in my last podcast, I interviewed David Rao about Orf Schulwerk. And since Andrew has experience and training in both philosophies, I thought it would be good to kind of end this particular series with him talking about both philosophies. It's very powerful. Andrew is just brilliant. So let's dive right in. All right. I am so excited to have Andrew Ellingson, my good friend, to talk about Orf and Kodai as he is trained in both. Hi, Andrew. How are you? Hi, Aileen. I'm doing well. How are you? Awesome. Good to talk to you. Good All to right. talk to you. Yeah, always. So um, I, w- I would love for you to tell us a little bit about your background and how you found the Kodai and or philosophies. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a family where both my parents were music teachers. Dad was middle school and high school choir. Mom was elementary and middle school band. And I went to college bound and determined not to be a music teacher. I was going to be a clarinet performance major. Uh And then I figured out that being an extrovert and being a performance major don't really jive because you have to spend so many hours in a practice room together, Uh just yourself and your instrument and nobody else. And it was going to be not a good situation. So I switched to music education and um, I had been going to music ed conferences with my parents all the time growing up Uh that was just part of life um and at one of the conferences i saw john fire robin present and it was really um um, a pretty incredible session where it was just like yeah why don't people do things like this in elementary music Uh i had had amazing music education growing up like we had the xylophones and recorders and beautiful children's choir experience all the way through elementary music. I had a phenomenal music teacher named Deanne Helfritz, who was amazing. Um, And when I decided to switch from clarinet performance, it was going to be elementary ed, and it was going to be a classroom like the one that I imagined in the session that Fire Robin talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I finished my degree and got a job teaching elementary music and felt like I was doing a good job. I was having kids be active and I was having kids um, read music and write music and transcribe musical phrases and create their own ideas, but it wasn't at the level that I knew it could be. And so after my third year, I sort of had this come to Jesus talk with myself where it was like, you know, your friends who are The best music teachers you know have all taken Kodai or ORF training. So you're going to take Kodai one and you're going to take ORF one. And if you come back next year and you don't feel more successful, then time to go get a job in a cubicle someplace. (laughs) And I enrolled at St. Thomas, the University of St. Thomas in St. Paul, Minnesota. Um, 
And it was just, that next year of teaching was so incredible. It was just amazing. And so um, I went back for more of both. Yeah. <laughs> I kept going back, and now it's now, and here we are. That's great. So if you had to describe your classroom now that you've had that training in three sentences, what would they be? Um, I think my classroom is a place where children know they are loved and safe. Um, I think my classroom is a place where children achieve musically at higher levels than they thought they could. Mm -hmm. And I think my, and achieved in multiple ways, like singing, playing, dancing, moving, creating, doing music, not just like perfect performance. So achieved in a broader sense of the term than just checking off a little box that says whatever the report card says. Right, yeah. So that I'm now well past my three sentences, but um, no, it's I think okay. my third sentence would be, I think my classroom is a place where children find joy in community together with each other. Great, that's awesome. So, that's what I hope, anyway. Yes, yes. What excited you the most about the ORF philosophy? I loved about the ORF philosophy during my training, and still today that the ideas of children can be elevated to artistic levels and that the creations of children can surpass the dreams of what the teacher could imagine alone. Yeah, that's so well articulated. What about the Kodai philosophy? What excited you the most about Kodai? I love about the Kodai philosophy that children can gain independence in musical literacy, notation-based musical literacy, um, and that a sequence of learning helps kids progress from known to unknown and discover things on their own in an organic way mm -hmm. that lets them go so much further than piecemealing the material together. Awesome. So if you could describe to us like a typical second grade, are you teaching second grade this year? Yep, I have kindergarten through second grade this okay, year. Okay, great. So if you think through like a typical second grade lesson in your classroom, what would that look like? Uh, kids would come in singing the circle song that we do at the start of class every day and they would, we're a one-to-one -one school, so they would put their iPads in their mailboxes, their sorter, over by the door and come on over to the circle. We would do vocal glides and rhythmic echoes, melodic echoes, um, some rhythmic and melodic decoding patterns um, just to get their ears and minds set for whatever's coming. Mm -hmm. um, and then typically we would sing around the circle where I sing hello to a kid um, and they sing hello back as a soloist, mm -hmm. or a, I'll often ask a child who is a really solid in-tune singer to sing um, back and forth to the kids around the circle. So, hello, Johnny, hello, Mr. E, back and forth all mm -hmm. the way around the circle um, so that every kid hears every other kid's voice every day as a soloist. Mm -hmm. Um and then the lesson can go any number of ways, but uh, like the most common format I would say is we work on 
some literacy concepts mixed in with working on some new folk song material Mm -hmm. mixed in with some sort of movement activity during the day, whether it's keeping a steady beat in canon um, to a piece of classical music or a folk dance or working on a creative movement project and some, some minutes on xylophones, whether that's decoding patterns or, um, creating their own new melodic line or something Mm -hmm. like that. And those pieces, you know, it depends on the day what gets the bigger focus. If we're spending 10 minutes here and three minutes there, or if we are doing a mix of all three, or if the same piece of repertoire even weaves through the whole day, or if it's, we're going to sing this song that we've been working on, and then we're going to add the B section to the folk dance that we're working on. And, oh, remember that xylophone pattern that we started working on last time? Let's see if we can clean that up. Oh, look, your teacher's here. Grab your iPads. It's time to go. Right, yeah. I would love to see you teach. It sounds fantastic. Um, Thanks. So tell us about an aha moment that you had as you went through your training um, that, or as you have taught that had to do with teaching with both philosophies. I think it continues to be a pretty regular occurrence in my classroom that Mm -hmm. I'm reminded of this aha moment, but it's that not every kid learns the same way. Mm -hmm. And the tools that I learned and the approaches to my classroom that I learned in my Kodai training work really well for some kids. Yes. And not at all for some other kids. Uh And the tools and techniques that I learned in my Orf Schulwerk training work really well for a different group of kids. Uh And by being able to bring both of those things to the table, I'm able to reach more kids. Um, I think we all believe that music lives and breathes in different ways for different people. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think we all believe that kids show what they know in different ways. And there are kids who thrive on order and structure and routine. Mm -hmm. And there are kids who are dying to let there be some place in the school day where there's not order and not structure and not routine Mm -hmm. and not a right answer. And I think being able to have kids sometimes look at a rhythmic pattern and read it accurately and other times look at a blank slate and create a rhythmic pattern of their own that demonstrates an understanding of the rhythmic concept that we're working on. Those are two totally different, both outstanding ways to demonstrate knowledge and skill in the classroom. And so I think the aha moment that I just keep peeling back more and more layers of and going deeper into is kids aren't the same as each other and we can't teach them all like they're the same as each other. Yeah. So very true. Actually, it makes me think of a workshop that, or a session. I don't remember if I learned this piece from you at like a full workshop or it was a conference session, but there was this instrumental piece that you taught um, that was fantastic. And I went back to, my students and I taught it to them piece by piece, just as you had, you know, taught it to us. And I saw some kids shine playing the Orf instruments that I had not seen shine before, you know? And there are kids who, for whatever reason, the structures we put in place and the community that we work to build about having a room where it's safe to sing with your singing voice Mm -hmm. 
we're not a culture that does that at home a whole lot. Right. And we're not a culture that has a whole lot of parents singing in front of their kids a lot. And so singing as personal and scary as it was for us as kids is even more so for kids now, I think, Mm -hmm. because it's not anywhere nearly as common to sing in a group or to sing alone outside of the school as it used to be. Right. Um, And so giving those kids a melodic outlet that isn't the human voice can be really incredible for some of those kids. Right. But having both outlets, having the instrumental outlet, having, yeah, it's awesome. And having struggled with the, I feel uncomfortable with this. This isn't my thing. I'm, I don't like being asked to sing. I will do it because I respect you. I will do it because I'm a kid who wants to please you, but it's not going to be my comfort zone. Uh Oh, wait. I can play the xylophone. This is amazing. Right. And for other kids, it's like, okay, yeah, I can play the xylophone, but can we please just sing? Yeah, yeah. You know, just so really, like you said, having both of those things happen. Yeah. And I also want to throw out there, I totally know that Kodai teachers, teachers, Kodai-inspired teachers use melodic instruments in their classrooms. Mm -hmm. And I totally know that Orph-inspired teachers sing all the time. Right. I think we sometimes point fingers and throw stones at each other Uh because of what final performances tend to look like. And Kodai performances tend to be more singing based and Orph inspired performances tend to have more instrumental Mm -hmm. focus. Right. But I mean, I think good Kodai education and good Orph education is good music education where kids are actively doing music in lots of different ways. It's just, like the end goals sometimes look a little different. Yes. But a lot of the steps along the way are very similar. Yes. Yes, great points. All right. So what are your favorite resources? These could be print, online, whatever. I have often said, I think if I moved to a new school and I had $125 for my annual budget and I was given a classroom that was four walls and a floor, and that's it. Uh I would buy 150 American Folk Songs, the Orange Book. Yes, here I. I would buy Ritmische Übung, the Body Percussion Exercises, Mm -hmm. a collection by Kate Mon. I would buy a hand drum, and I would buy a pair of finger cymbals, and I think I could teach for the year. Um, I think the repertoire in 150 American Folk Songs is so rich. There's so much melodic and rhythmic content there where if that's what you had, you could sequence a year's worth of learning for a K-6 program and have enough material for kids to really take apart musical ideas and put them back together and think and figure stuff out in a way that would really prepare them for the music in the world around them that Mm -hmm. isn't Mm folk-based. For classical music, for pop music, there's so much of that collection that just sparkles in today's kids still, Mm -hmm. which is amazing when you think how many hundreds and thousands and millions of children have sung those songs. So they're still little gems. Um, Ritmische Übung, I think body percussion is 
an often underutilized medium for kids to make music with. Mm-hmm. Um, I was really lucky about six or eight years ago to take a master class out in San Francisco from Sophia Lopez Ibor and Keith Terry, and it was the voice and the body, the two primary instruments. And just the idea of where music would have come from originally, the first things we would have done Mm -hmm. as human culture would be to raise our voices together and to use our bodies to clap, to stomp, to pat. Right. And the many different timbres of body percussion that you can pull, like there is so much in that collection, Ritmische Übung. Um, It's just amazing. And then I think a hand drum and a pair of finger cymbals, like that's just, those can be used in so many different ways, both for making music, Mm -hmm. for adding color parts, but also for classroom management things. When I play the finger cymbals, stop and look at it. (laughs) Right, yeah. You know, so I mean, I think, I think for a hundred bucks, that's what I would get. Yes. Those four things. And I will put links to um, all of those resources in the show notes um, for those of you listening. So that you can link right to them. All right. So what do you think is the biggest strength of the Kodai philosophy? I think the biggest strength of the Kodai philosophy, when it's done well, is that there's an underlying sequence for all planning and learning that happens. And so kids gradually discover the many ways to be a musically literate mm-hmm. person without ever feeling like it's so much hard work. Mm-hmm. It just unfolds organically and naturally. Yes. And what about the Or philosophy? What do you think the biggest strength of Or Schulwerk is? Um, I think my answer on that has changed since I first did my training. I think I would have originally said children can be creative music makers and that's really cool Mm -hmm. and I think now we are in an age when kids are told over and over and over to sit still listen and figure out the right answer to put down in the bubble on the standardized test yeah and I think my training in Orf Schulwerk is what has allowed me to see the music classroom is one of the last places in the school where Kids play with ideas and wrestle with a host of possibilities, and there's not necessarily a right answer and a wrong answer, but there are many possible answers that could all lead to something beautiful. I think there are classroom teachers who do that kind of work with kids when Mm -hmm. they're doing um, research projects. Mm Mm-hmm. And when they're helping kids wrestle with math concepts through exploratory learning. But I think the music classroom can do it so intentionally and in a way that protects student creativity. We get to say yes to kids' ideas. We have the luxury and the gift of seeing the creative potential of children and saying, yeah, I wouldn't have thought of that. Let's try that. What could happen? And what else? 
Right. And what more? Mm-hmm. And what now? And, oh, that was interesting, but it didn't quite work. Why not? What instead? Mm-hmm. But not, yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. Yes, that's right. right. No, that's wrong. Mm-hmm. And I think that can be true for Kodai teachers and for ORF teachers. Mm-hmm. For me, that is something that I took from my ORF training, mm-hmm. where it's just... We are the place where children get to be authentic, playful, creative humans. We're kind of the last holdout for where kids get to be kids. Yeah, that's really powerful. Thank you. So what is the best advice you have for someone who's interested in learning more about Kodai and ORF and integrating the two philosophies? If you're somebody who's looking at wanting to do both, look for a program that does ORF really well. And look for a program that does Kodai really well. And don't worry about, while you're in the training, how to merge the two together. Uh-huh. Get the best dwarf training you can get and get the best Kodai training you can get. And then go back to your classroom knowing that you've got amazing tools in your toolbox. And then you get to use those skills that you've grown to meet the needs of your kids. Mm-hmm. And some days, classes, projects, children, you'll end up using more of your Kodai skill set. And sometimes you'll end up using more of your ORF skill set. But I think if as you're going through, you're sorting out, yep, this fits with that. Yep, this fits with that. Nope, this doesn't fit, so I'm throwing it out. Nope, this doesn't fit, so I'm throwing it out. Mm -hmm. You're doing yourself a disservice because you're not giving yourself the full immersive experience. Yeah, that's a great point. I had never thought of it that way. So I think go into the two weeks open-minded, uh-huh. ready to soak up as much as you can. And then when you get back to your classroom, sort out the, okay, this feels authentic to Kodai, this feels authentic to ORF, and this feels authentic to me. Mm-hmm. And this is going to work with my kids. Right. And I don't think that thing is going to work with my kids. I'll try it a couple times because who knows? Maybe it will. Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll see that kid who doesn't sparkle in my classroom very often just shine. But I think the more depth of quality training you can give yourself in each separately, the stronger the future synthesis can be. Awesome. Is there anything else you'd like to add about teaching with Kodai and Orf? Just that I think even in the scariness around us that we really are pretty incredibly lucky to be in a profession where we get to help kids find their voice and find their creativity, find beauty, and find community, and that's worth fighting for. There are plenty of ORF teachers who throw stones at other folks, and there are plenty of Kodai teachers who throw stones at other folks, and right now we've got enough people outside the field of music education, pointing fingers and saying, cut, cut, cut. We, We need to really band together and protect the value of active music making. And just because the teacher in the next school over or the next classroom over, if you're lucky enough to teach in a school with two music teachers, just because they don't do it the same way as you, doesn't mean there might not be something kind of incredible happening. Right. And so if, if we can stop the finger pointing 
and move in the direction of celebrating active music making in all its diverse forms, I think we all will be better off for it. For sure. Andrew, thank you so much. That was really powerful and beautiful, and I really appreciate it. Lovely to talk to you. Always, always great talking to you, Andrew. Thank you so much. Absolutely. All right. Have a great one. You too. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to this interview with Andrew. I don't know if you've ever seen Andrew present. Um, He is truly fantastic. He's such a phenomenal presenter. Whether you get to see him at a district workshop, you could, you know, perhaps bring him into your district to present or at an ORF chapter workshop or a Kodai chapter workshop, or if you are able to go to um, an ORF conference like the National AOSA conference or the National OAKE conference, he's presented at both of those several times. So he truly is so fantastic. You should definitely see him if you can. And I will leave his email address in the show notes so that if you're interested in bringing him in to your district or to a chapter workshop, you um, could contact him that way. So to find my show notes, you can go to my blog at mrsmiraclesmusicroom.com. And then up at the top, it'll say podcast. You can click that and then go to podcast number four and you'll find the information as well as the resources that Andrew listed. Thank you so much to Andrew for the wonderful interview and make sure that you subscribe to my podcast in the iTunes store so that anytime with a new podcast, I've been trying to do that once every two weeks, that will hit your feet and you'll be able to go ahead and listen to it. Also, if you could leave a review in iTunes, that would be fantastic because it would help other music teachers find the podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. I really appreciate it and have a wonderful day.